I'm Rob Parsons, the Yorkshire Post political editor, and you'll want to keep listening to today's episode if you're interested in one of the more intriguing results from last month's local elections. The Humberside Police and Crime Commissioner, Labour's Keith Hunter, was unseated by Conservative Jonathan Everson, despite Mr Everson only becoming the Tory candidate a few weeks earlier. He entered the race after the party's previous representative, dropped out for what he described as personal reasons, amid claims he had not been entirely honest about his levels of policing experience. So we'll be hearing from Jonathan Everson all about that and his vision for policing in Hull, East Riding and Northern Lincolnshire when he chats to our crime correspondent Lucy Leeson later. But first, let's talk a bit about where we are with one of this country's trickiest political dilemmas, that of social care and how we pay for it. I'm sure we all remember Boris Johnson standing on the steps of 10 Downing Street not long after becoming Prime Minister in 2019 and declaring that he had a plan to fix the crisis once and for all. But nearly two years on, we're yet to find out what this plan is. So what's going on? Well, here to tell us is the Yorkshire Post social affairs correspondent, Victoria Finan. Victoria, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm good. I'm thrilled that you said my last name right. It normally comes out as Finnan or Finnan, so we've made a great start. <laughs> I like to do my research before before uh, speaking to anyone. So happy to happy to oblige. So uh, welcome. To, so welcome to the podcast. So let's start from the beginning because I guess people hear the phrase social care crisis being thrown around quite a lot. But what what actually is social care like at its most basic level? Well, when we think about social care, I think most people are probably thinking about care homes and about elderly people going to live in care homes. But actually, social care is a much wider set of interventions. So they're all essentially geared at protecting vulnerable people, which, to be fair, often includes the elderly. So it could be things like day centres or respite care for carers or care offered to people within their own homes, like if they have a health visitor who comes to help them with day-to-day tasks. So it's support for people of all ages as well, not just the elderly. Um, I guess as well, the, the key thing to know about social care is to compare it to something like the NHS. Obviously, most healthcare is free at the point of need, uh, except some exceptions. So things like if you're going to the dentist or the opticians, normally you have to pay a fee. And also you have to pay a fee in England if you're picking up your prescription. Um, At the moment, social care isn't free at the point of need for most people. Um, So it's funded in lots of different ways. And some of it is subsidised by local authorities. But most of the time, the burden falls on individuals or their families to pay for their own social care. Uh, So councils can set what's called a precept, which is like a little bit of extra council tax um, that you can pay, which goes towards the cost of social care. But really, unless you are one of the most um, one of the more poor members of society, if the time comes that you'll need social care, most people have to meet that cost themselves. Okay, so obviously there's a crisis. We all we all know that. But what what essentially is the crisis? What is what is causing the problem? And what uh, what's the basic issue here? Well, you could look at the social care crisis, as campaigners would call it, from a few different angles. I suppose three of the key elements of it are the um, cuts to funding, which campaigners say have happened over the years the cost of care itself on individuals and also there's something of a uh, crisis within the workforce in social care. So in terms of your cuts to funding, 
some of the largest charities in the UK have uh, crunched the numbers around how much they say has been cut to social care funding um, over the past few years. Now, according to Age UK, £86 million worth of funding has been cut from the government uh, since 2010. And that was obviously the year that the coalition government formed. Um, and they are estimating that that means at the moment around a million and a half people aged 65 or over aren't receiving the care or support that they need. When you look as well at the cost of funding social care, like I've just mentioned, for most people who are meeting that themselves, it often leads to situations that we hear about quite a lot, like people having to sell their homes or um children after their parents pass away, having to sell the family home to meet the cost of what their parents' care was. And a lot of people say this is really unfair. The situation as well doesn't really seem to be improving right now. Um, so a group called the Health Foundation a couple of years ago did a piece of research and it showed their estimate was that at the moment, one in 10 people who are aged 65 now are going to face lifetime care costs of over £100,000. Uh, which is obviously an eye-watering amount of money for the vast majority of people. Um, within social care too, there's something of a recruitment crisis. So as you can probably imagine, frontline work in social care is usually long hours and it's not especially highly paid. Uh, the burden tends to fall on women. So the workforce is made up has got a very high proportion of women and also women from black and minority ethnic backgrounds. The turnover is often high. Um, there's a growing movement within social care to improve staff wages, to make social care a more attractive prospect for people who want to make a career in it, uh, but also to make social care free at the point of need, like the NHS. Uh, here in Yorkshire, we've got um, a group called the Independent Care Group, which is chaired by um, a man named Mike Padgham, who is based in Scarborough and actually owns a care home himself. And he's one of the leading calls for social care to be made free at the point of need. But it's probably worth saying that the cost of that has to be met somewhere. And more likely than not, any government who did introduce that as part of their policy would probably have to meet the cost through taxing the public on it. So it's clearly a, a massive issue, a big yeah. sort of a, a, a big difficult problem for the government to solve. What, what have they said themselves about what they what they want to do about it, if anything? Well, the interesting thing is that the government have admitted that there is a social care crisis. Um, so it's not something that's necessarily being swept under the carpet by them. Um, as you mentioned, when Boris Johnson was. I, you could say anointed prime minister, however long it was ago now, it's not what, a couple of years ago now, isn't it? Um, on the steps of Downing Street, um, he committed to having a plan um, to fix social care once and for all. Um, we're two years on from that now, and campaigners would say that nothing really has happened. I mean, obviously, you know, we've had a very eventful two years, what with Brexit and the pandemic, uh, but the, the cries for the government to come out with this plan are getting louder and louder. Uh, there was a lot of talk last month before the Queen's speech about whether or not social care was going to be included. And it did get a mention um, that the government are committed to tackling the issues, but there wasn't that much detail about what the plans actually were or when they're likely to take shape. Um, so there was lots and lots of backlash after that. And it's not the first time that the government have received a pummeling over social care. Um, you might remember back in 2017, 
when Theresa May called the snap election, one of her policies that she had to climb down on was a dementia tax, which, well, what was called the dementia tax, which was uh, going to be for people who are receiving care within their homes, having to pay for it unless their homes were worth more, like less than £100,000. That got a lot of backlash and she had to climb down on that in the end. Um, so, yeah, the government have received a fair amount of criticism and stick for their social care policies. Um, there is a dedicated minister, actually, for social care, and that's Helen Waitley. And she's been the minister for social care since last spring. So, I mean, obviously, a lot of things have got a lot worse during the pandemic. And I think it's fair to say that care homes and the situation in care homes is is, is one of them. I mean, to what extent has the the pandemic brought the situation in, in care into kind of sharp focus? Well, I think it's fair to say that the situation in care homes with the pandemic became something of a national scandal. So we all know very, very sadly that the number of deaths within care homes of people with coronavirus was incredibly high, especially at the first peak of the pandemic. So the um, numbers at the moment suggest that at the first peak of the pandemic, almost 20,000 people died in care homes. And that was 40% of the overall COVID deaths within that first wave. Um, now, the number did fall in the second wave, but over a quarter of deaths recorded were still in care homes. Um, Something that uh, has been sort of thrown more as well into sharp focus, especially over the past couple of weeks, was the situation with people being discharged from hospital back into care homes who were actually positive for the virus. So there was a bit of an outcry in the first wave when it became clear that people were being discharged from hospital um, with COVID. And actually last week when Dominic Cummings, who was obviously at the time a very close advisor of the Prime Minister, appeared before a select committee to talk about his role in the first wave of the pandemic, he said that Matt Hancock lied when he said that all residents were being tested before they come into care homes. This is something that's been correlated up here in Yorkshire. So we have, as I mentioned earlier, Mike Padgham, who's the chair of the Independent Care Group. And he has come out and said that last April, he wrote to ministers and to the health secretary to say that he knew for a fact that people were being discharged into care homes with COVID. And he said he never got a reply from ministers after he wrote that letter. Um, after Dominic Cummings appeared before the uh, select committee and made those allegations, uh, Boris Johnson did defend Matt Hancock. But it is very likely that the situation in care homes will need to be scrutinised really heavily as part of the 2022 COVID inquiry that Boris Johnson has promised. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a lot to a lot for us still to find out about how that all materialized so i mean obviously there's there's lots of different opinions about how this crisis could be uh, ultimately solved what what are labor saying what what are other people saying about possible alternatives there is lots and lots of different ideas that's being thrown around. And in fairness here, it's not just coming from Labour. So uh, you have, for example, M Yorkshire MPs getting involved in this. So Kevin Hollenrake, who's the MP for Thurscombe Moulton, he's made the suggestion before that everyone should pay 1% of their earnings into a private insurance pot and that could pay for future social care. There's lots of different ideas about how it works, but it's clear that with an ageing population, something is going to have to change. Now, 
I don't know if you watched on... Did you watch Keir Starmer on Piers Morgan? I watched a bit of it, yes. Yes, I did watch a bit of it. It was... I have to be... I mean, I'm, I'm a sucker for any kind of emotional interview. And I've got to say, it was... It, it was it was very emotional when he spoke about his mum and dad, um, actually quite pertinent because, you know, both his parents, I think, benefited from um, different elements of social care. But anyway, um, when Piers Morgan questioned Keir Starmer about his three core policies uh, that he would bring forward should Labour be in government, the third one he said was dignity and older age. Um, and they kind of long beat the drum and say that they would improve the social care system. So uh, last year, Liz Kendall um, made a big sort of keynote speech where she said that should Labour be in government, they would shift the focus of social care away from admitting more people into care homes into trying to keep people at home for as long as they want to be at home, which I think is a fear for a lot of families that they won't have a choice about the matter, that if if their relative's health declines, they'll have to move into a care home. So that may have gone down well. Um, they've also promised a new deal for care home workers, which presumably would mean higher wages. Um, and they've signalled before they would set up a national care service to make social care free at the point of need. Um, but it's worth saying, of course, that the last time Labour... Um, Labour ran a general election campaign, it was under a very different leadership. Uh, and these policies haven't really been tested yet with the general public. So it'll be interesting to see what the public make of Labour's social care reform plans as and when the next election happens. Yeah, absolutely. It, it feels like after many years and decades of wrestling with this problem, we've it's finally sort of reached a moment where everyone agrees that it can't be put off any longer yeah. uh, and uh you know the Yorkshire post uh will certainly be continuing to bang the drum for a solution to be found because it, it's such a, a big issue that affects so many people well and um, victoria thank you so much for that that was a, a great insight and we, we should come back to this in a few months see where things are hopefully we'll have moved on a little bit from the current uh the current situation yeah. and might have a bit more clarity about where things are going so uh victoria fine then thank you thank you for having me no problem at all. And now let's hear from the Humberside Police and Crime Commissioner, Jonathan Everson, who is talking to our crime correspondent, Lucy Leeson. Today I am joined by the new Humberside Police and Crime Commissioner, Jonathan Everson, who we will hear from more in a moment. As many of you may or may not know, the election to become the next Police and Crime Commissioner of the Humberside area took a twist before voters even had taken to the polls. Mr Everson, who is the North Lincolnshire Mayor and Councillor, was only announced as the Conservative PCC candidate days before the election took place, after the previous Conservative candidate Craig Elliott dropped out amid allegations of dishonesty about his post. Despite this, and perhaps it being fair to say that it was perhaps one of the more quieter campaigns, Mr Everson beat his main competitor, Labour's Keith Hunter, to crown the new PCC, receiving a total of 79,534 votes. Jonathan, thank you very much for joining us today. First of all, was it was it a bit of a shock to be announced as a Tory candidate in such a, a short space of time? Well, let's put it um, this way. I was actually repairing my shed roof when I got the telephone call and I nearly fell off the roof um, when uh, when um, uh, somebody from the party said, uh, um, we, we, we need you to stand for the candidate. Would you consider doing it? Um, I can't say it was a complete surprise because um, I had considered this about two and a half years ago 
and and decided not to to do it because I have a long-standing association with the crime uh, police and crime agenda, being the chair of the police and crime panel for for seven years. So it was something that had been in my mind, but it was complete a complete surprise on that roof uh, one uh, windy uh, day just a few just a couple of months ago. Okay, so so I'm going to say what you made of the controversy surrounding Mr. Elliot. Can you say anything about that? I can't say anything about it. As far as I'm aware, there's still a there's still an investigation on ongoing, and I and I I couldn't possibly comment. And probably you know um, uh, more about it than uh, than I do. I just got my head down, worked out how we could um, uh, do a campaign in a short time with with really no money um and uh try to uh, try to do the best job we do, uh, we could and fortunately um the national picture was on our side and we were able to were uh, to use quite a few new te techniques which perhaps conventionally we wouldn't have used vis-a-vis -vis facebook and the internet that sort of thing so obviously going back to when keith hunter took over as pcc uh, humberside police was actually one of the worst um, performing forces if not actually the worst in the country in your eyes, where does the force sit now and, and what state is it in? The force is in, oh, and you, you're correct, um, the force is in uh, a far, far better place um, uh, than it uh, than it was. Um, uh, we have uh, an extremely competent and professional uh, chief constable. Uh, Keith put a lot of things in place that uh, that allowed the chief constable to do a terrific job. Um, I very much um, uh, supported uh, Keith in a lot of the things that he put forward. Um, myself and the chief constable have very, very similar views on how you manage. I come from a, a, an electrical engineer sort of production management background with total quality management and uh, and continuous improvement. So we're on a we're on we're on a level to uh, together, um, and we will continue to uh, to build the, uh, uh, the 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 police and crime agenda in the Humber region um, as we go forward. And we've got lots of, uh, of exciting ideas, or I've got lots of exciting ideas and plans uh, uh, to, to to do that to develop it. So, so what are your key priorities then for the force? Okay, well, I mean, uh, what I've got to do is set out uh, what they call a police and crime plan, which which really sets the the tone, the vision, the way forward, picks upon um, a number of, of of statutory items uh, and a number of items that, uh, that that we want to do. I mean, some of those items are. are um, uh, antisocial behaviour, drugs, rural crime, um, making the police force more visible, um, continuing the uplift that uh, that has been going on for a, for a few years. There's about two, just over two thousand officers in the police force, uh, warranted officers, um, and there's, there's uh, going to be another couple of hundred. So I'm committed to to delivering those. Um, obviously, we need to, be able to put in places because they've got to have the kit, they've got to have the training, they've got to have all the things um, that they require. To, to do a good job uh, and going forward we'll be we'll be putting that in place as well as 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 you know following the agenda of, of supporting victims and violence against uh, women and girls um, an education program so that we we catch um, people before they they get into crime uh, scams and frauds uh, not in our community community which is something we launched just the other week which is a a a, uh, a means of, of education for county lines type um, organised crime so that people, are, young people particularly, are not uh, uh, um, uh, 
uh, dragged into that. So uh, because they are in, in effect, what it, what it is, is exploitation. It's child exploitation. They are pulled into a life of crime and struggle to get out. So you've got 12, 13, 14 year olds being effectively kidnapped and taken off uh, out of our community by, by these criminal gangs. So a, a number of things there. One of the things that I will be doing, I will be engaging with the public heavily. Um, you will see during this interview that I'm quite gregarious. I'm very passionate about, about this agenda. And I shall be talking to people, finding their views, trying to, to align organizations um, like the, uh, the local authorities along this same uh, agenda, because I think we've got more power. My plan will be um, uh, uh, consulted on, and what I want is I want the people who are, who are consultees, which is the public and local authorities and stakeholders and whatever, to feel that the plan is their plan, um, because I feel that it, I will get an awful lot more um, uh, out of the plan if people buy into it by putting into it in the first place. So it's important that we do that consultation. That's brilliant. And obviously, is it a bit difficult for you because... When uh, Mr Hunter took over, as we mentioned, Humberside was at the bottom of the league table. Now the force is actually one of the top. Does that make your job harder in some respects? No, it makes it easier. Um, <laughs> I've got I've got to put the polish on it, um, and uh, and I'm certainly going to do that. And uh, there is an awful lot to polish. Um, we have some really really good, passionate people. I've been singularly impressed by by just about everybody. I've I've uh, I've met um, and I've met a lot of people recently um, from the chief uh, constable uh, at the top with his senior leadership team to to um, uh, young bobbies who are who are regularly entering into uh, uh, drug raids in um, Operation Galaxy. I was just talking to some of them uh, the other day, uh, and I've also found um, a degree a high degree of professionalism within the Office of the Police and Crime Commissioner, which is my office, which which fulfills my my desire to uh, to do what we uh, we want to do in in the, the police plan so it's really a good picture and i mean it's not it's a bit corny but i'm actually very excited about the prospect of doing this i i look at something and i see that is good we can make that better and we've got the people who are who've got the skills to do that brilliant and what about will you be having a deputy at all no um i i decided um uh that uh, that wasn't uh, it wasn't ne necessary i would much rather spend that money on um a a professional uh, within the office uh, that i may or may uh, may or may not need um uh, a deputy predominantly when you actually look at the legislation uh, is for two things the political aspect because the police and crime commissioner is apolitical um, although we are politicians, it is apolitical. We must treat everybody uh, equally, irrespective of, of political allegiance and on all any other allegiance that they they may have. Um, but the other reason that people um, have the deputies is you must have a, a, a means, say something happened to me and I was incapacitated, they would need somebody else to take that over. Now, some people say that's what the deputy's job is, and it is the deputy's job, um, but I shall put things in place without actually employing a deputy to, to, make, that, uh, to make that case if going forward should something uh, befall me. Brilliant. And um, what about, obviously, uh, we've seen in North Yorkshire, the uh, PCC there has taken over the scrutiny of the fire service. Is that is this something that you are considering doing at all? No, no. Um, I, I mean, 
we might be forced all police and crime questioners might be forced by by uh, government legislation to do this it's not something that's on my agenda i aren't going to volunteer for that um i think i've got a big enough job um with the police force um but ultimately if if that's what the uh, uh, the home secretary um decides and the fire minister and the uh, the police minister decides then obviously i will have to do that but it's not on my agenda at the moment i'm certainly not seeking that so let's go to now the main issue of uh, funding. Do you think police forces like Humberside are getting the funding that they need to do the job properly? Well, we, we, we've had a lot of funding just recently. Uh, I mean, there's, 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 I say never been as much funding in policing, but it's certainly a high point in police funding. Um, I'm not saying it's not a concern going forward, but um, looking over the next three years, um, we're all set to be able to uh, uh, fulfil the, uh, uh, the the take up of the uh, the police force, the uplift of the police force. Um, but we've got to be we've also got to be creative as well. I mean, one of my my pushes as far as integrating the, the, the crime plan with the local authorities is if we act together with the local authorities or uh, as opposed to separately, if local authorities act separately. So my local authority, which um, I'm a ward member of, is North Lincolnshire. There are about 165,000 people live in North Lincolnshire, but there are 900,000 people live in the Humber region in the four local authorities. If we can work together more closely, um, we have a bigger bang for our book with 900,000 as opposed to individually with um, 300,000 or 165,000, depending which your, your authority you're talking about. Uh, and there is lots of, of, of public money um, from the criminal justice system and from the government that we can that we can uh, bid for. Uh, I mean, streets, street, uh, so safe streets is, is one at the moment. Um, there's been a big um, uplift 25 million, 20 million, and there's a there's a, another one coming out. It actually came out today. And so we'll be bidding for that. And the expertise of the Office of the Police and Crime Commissioner, the expertise of the police force, and the expertise within the local authorities, we should capitalise uh, on, on, on that as well. And we've got other ideas, um, perhaps commercial ideas, that we can we can bring to the fore as well. So we're, we're, we will be looking for money outside and inside the criminal justice system and working together to try to get as much as we can for this region. So your previous role, I think you briefly touched on this, was you were the chair of the um, Humberside Police and Crime Panel. Um, what will it be like for you uh, being scrutinised? And it's a bit of a role reversal, really. Well, I, I mean, I think it'll be all right. I, I kind of take these things in my stride anyway. Um, I'm, I'm quite a friendly, outgoing person. I don't, I mean, uh, we uh, when I was first involved with the Police and Crime Panel, it was a very, very strange um uh, sort of beast there was infighting political infighting um there was evil infighting between uh, politics of the same the same color between between local authorities and and myself and and uh, a senior um labor politician in in Hull city council a fellow called sean sean chater we got our heads together and said look this is no good We've got to conduct business in 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 a professional manner. We have to stop this. Um, Sean wanted to be chair. I wanted to be chair, and we 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 hatched a deal that whoever got the chair would nominate the the other person as the vice chair. And that that happened for for seven years. Um, Sean always nominated me, and I then in turn nominated nominated him. And we we worked together 
to make sure that the uh, the the panel the panel worked. And and I mean, while I've got no control over what uh, the panel does, I would hope that they would continue uh, uh, in that light because it is it is a, a professional function function in panel. And when you sometimes because there's regional panels we go to and there's national uh, panels that we go to, I think Humberside uh, Police and Crime Panel is a very very uh, good working panel and uh, and has uh, has done a lot of good work over the, over the years and, and and it should remain and i shall do everything in my power to, to give them the information to be able to uh, to do that and the access to do that so what would you say to all those people then that actually voted for you what will you deliver for them well, I'll be I'll be true to my uh, my manifesto. Um, I want I want them to feel reassured that the police police force is is there for them, and I shall be out there telling them what the police force are doing and what we're doing. I want to tackle antisocial behaviour. I want to tackle drugs. I want to um, to increase um, uh, the rural crime um, uh, side of, of of policing. That will all be in my plan. But I also want to to have an education program going forward, um, particularly with uh, with drugs. Drugs um, and and to to a degree also antisocial be, uh, behaviour, um, uh, so that we we kind of stop um, you know we get ahead of the curve with with people that could fall into into bad company and into uh, and into sort of the criminal the criminal system. Um, I, I also want to uh, to uh, include, as I said, the the, the partners, which which the, the, the biggest partners um, are the local authorities for for delivering the message uh, um, to uh, to people, um, and 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 victims is is some is a big part of of anything. I mean, the best thing is try to stop people becoming victims in the first place, but um, once somebody does become victim, you, you, victim you, you must do the, the utmost that you possibly can and the police do very well um, uh, and the support from that you can get from third sector and from uh, and from the office of the police and crime commissioner um, we will be improving that and trying to be uh, be using best practice uh, wherever we possibly can I mean another part of the agenda which is which is uh, I say it's it's new. It's not new. It's an old thing, but it's it's hit the headlines. Is violence against women and girls? You know, uh, it's a big thing. I've got I'm I'm the father of four daughters, and I've got four granddaughters, uh, and some of the things that uh, that you that you see. Um, potentially no-go areas for 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 women uh women feeling um as though uh that they're being harassed you know the typical thing walking past a building site and they get wolf whistled at you know there's the lots we, we can do from an education program um that uh that, that we're going to try to, uh, to to roll out and 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 do as much as we can to raise raise awareness and also that uh, that this is actually a hate crime as well in certain instances so you've obviously been in the position now for a couple of weeks, isn't it? What, what have you been up to in those few weeks? <laughs> Well, it's gone very, very quick. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I am working quite long hours, and I knew that was going to be the case. Um, you know, so I'm working flat out. What I've, I've kind of said: um, 30 days, three months, six months. Um, so I've got a target for 30 days. I've got a target for three months when the police and crime plan will be published. So I've got a, I've got these these uh, waypoints in 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 my first sort of six months, and we're working towards them uh, and 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 highlighting uh, what we uh, what we actually uh, need to do. But I think I'm going to be working flat out pretty much for six months, and then I'm going to look at it and see because because the thing is I want to find out 
where everything is. I want to find out where all the levers are. I want to find out how things work. Once, and I can't do that by not looking at everything. So I'm going to look at everything, get as much information as I can, and then I'll be able to sort of maybe sit back and say, okay, I can leave these bits and pieces because I really don't need to be in that because people can report that to me. But X, Y, Z, I, and it'll be more than X, Y, Z, I need to have my hands on that and I need to be to, to be sort of uh, uh, there coaching and, 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 and getting people to, uh, to move the agenda forward. Um, so I'm, I'm not intending working 60 hours for, for um, the next three years, a week and weekends, but I shall be working hard to start with, but it will be, it will be gradually um, where I'm working smart rather than hard and spreading myself really, really thin. And just one final question. Obviously, we've, you've gone through what some of your priorities for the force are. I mean, a lot of Humberside Police's success can be put down to the Chief Constable, Lee Freeman, and how he has turned this force around. Now, I know there have been rumours previously of him being linked with other forces, and I'm sure that the public in across the Humberside Police area will be keen to keep Lee in place where he is. Is that one of your other priorities as well, would you say? Yeah, absolutely. I, um, I, I've known Lee a few years. Um, I, I first met Lee, um, well, quite a few years before he became Chief Constable. He was a senior officer in, uh, in, in the Lincolnshire Police Force. He's from Grimsby anyway. Um, and I had done a scrutiny review for child sex, exploit child sex exploitation. Um, uh, and it was just following the Rotherham um, sort of uh, disaster, really, as far as child sexual exploitation is concerned. And we got Lee to come across because he was he'd got some specialism in this. So I met him there, and I was very impressed uh, with him then. Um, and, and of course, a few years went on, and he applied for the position at the um, uh, Humberside Police. And I was actually, um, as a, I was a spectator, I was a, 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 on the on the interview, and he came across exceptionally well. Uh, and in the intervening years, um, um, I've worked with him um, when he came to the police and crime panel. He is uh, an excellent, dedicated uh, officer, and he is also. Um, he knows how what success is all about. He likes to win. I like to win. Um, I like to be successful. Um, a successful person um, gets people who are better than them to work with them. And that's what Lee has done. And he's got some very, very good senior officers and he's surrounded himself by extremely competent officers right up and down the, uh, 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 the line, so to speak. Um, he's reassured me that he's staying with Humberside Police. Um, uh, but obviously at some point he may retire um, uh, police officers uh, are allowed to do that from time to time just like the rest of us well that's great well we understand that obviously you're a very busy man so we will let you go so thank you very much for your time Jonathan Everson thank you very much thanks for listening to Pods in Country I do hope you've enjoyed what you've heard this week and do leave us a review on whichever service you get your podcasts on if you'd like to hear more from us and if you have any ideas for things we ought to be discussing, please drop me an email at rob.parsons at jpimedia.co.uk. And we'll look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks. Bye bye.